City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Okay, and City Limits cracks into air eventually. We had a little, we were on air going to air at the right time, we had a little bit of a tragedy like we knocked the teapot over. Almost a medical uh, emergency there. Yeah, that's right, almost a medical emergency, hot tea everywhere. But we've managed to make it, we've got another pot here. In fact, I better pour it while we're at it because people will be... Brace yourself, everyone. That's right, here we go. Ah... There we are, and just the one cup this morning we're having. <laughs> Rightio, April Bragg's in the studio. It's wonderful. Thanks for coming in, April. It's uh, Housing with no Aged Action Day. It's a housing day, and you normally come in, but you've come in to co-present because our other co-presenters have abandoned us and gone to America and England at the oh. moment. Yeah, well, so. now I'm really envious. <laughs> That's right. So uh, <laughs> I'm very but happy to see you here, April. <laughs> and you've got... Uh, but thank you for We've got Shane McGrath us. from the yep. Housing with Age coming in later in the show. Yeah, and Shane's going to um, talk about um, how Victoria last week um, became suddenly tenant-friendly. Um, so we'll be talking in terms of the proposed... Um, legislative changes around tenancy legislation for um, uh, which are being bandied around that um, are very pro-tenant so we'll talk through the pros and cons of all those proposals. Right you've been told they're very pro-tenant so uh, <laughs> yes. yes yes, great 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 reforms so we'll find out and you've also teed up our first guest who will be calling in very shortly. Yeah so Paul Adams from Victorian University um, who's also the president of the um, the education union um, and representing that uh, that uh, facility um, and I, I think that you've covered on the program before um, just about the number of retrenchments um, that's been happening out there and um, yeah. I heard Paul on another program during the week saying that um, that's now moved to Fort's retrenchments and that is particularly targeted um, the union representatives um, on, on that site. So um, very worrying news indeed. Oh. Um, also just the um, what it, impact it's had on um, students, of course, but um, how many jobs have, have been lost because I understand there's probably around about 150. So if you're actually taking 150 positions out of mainly teaching um, positions it's got to have a huge impact on the future That's of that right. university. And he's, of course, at VU, which is one of the, yes. you know, which essentially is, it, we keep calling it, but it's basically in the working class areas. Yes. It's, it's a working class university. So. Yes. So the reasons that the university seem to be putting forward in terms of um, financial difficulties, um, surely because of the importance of the university out, out in the West and, and the great work that it has been um, doing. Mm. And certainly through family members that I have, I've witnessed that first firsthand and always been really impressed. So I think for you know the the region, it's a it's a real concern yeah. of what the university may well, turn our into. Former, our former uh, co-presenter Doug, of course, Doug Jordan, got his PhD out there. Yes, the, certainly. Yeah, so maybe he's on the line now. Yep. So Paul, we've got Paul on the on the line. Thank you. Well, let's introduce him. Get him going. It was virtually an introduction. Just did actually, April. But uh, here we go. So we have Paul on the line. Morning, Paul. How you doing, April? How you doing, Kevin? Good, Paul. Good, mate. Yeah. 
So, Paul, thanks for, for coming on and um, joining us this morning. I did hear you on another program during the week and was really alarmed to, to hear that um, the retrenchment program, which we were all really alarmed about anyway, has now become forced redundancies. Um, and as you were talking about particularly targeting the union representatives on um, at VU. So um, we thought we'd get you on for, for an update about what's happening and certainly what support people can be lending um, to you and your colleagues. Um, and as Kevin and I were just saying, because the Victorian University is um, such a valuable institution in the Western region, um, we really must be doing everything that we can to, to make sure that, um, you know, <laughs> that the university still remains and uh, continues the good work that it has been doing, um, I guess, up until now. Yeah, no, look, in, indeed. Um, it, it, I think it's probably worth saying, uh, you know, I think it, it's difficult in a number of work environments at the moment, so I don't want to just highlight uh, the university system, but the university system is not what it was and there is some fairly dreadful things happening Um Probably just as some context, um, in at Murdoch University in Western Australia, they've uh, cancelled their enterprise agreement over there um, during the bargaining process, and what that's meant for staff is a 30% reduction in pay, uh, mm. cuts to um, superannuation, uh, fairly radical changes uh, to conditions. Um, and the argument, of course, used there was that Murdoch was in financial trouble, so they had to do it. Um, now, I suppose we're, we're very concerned about a similar scenario happening at um, VU. Um, I don't think it's any accident that they have just brought in staff recently uh, from Patrick Stevedores and um, also the CFA, um, both organisations, I think, as everyone would know, a mm. uh, strong history of uh, taking, taking on unions and that, you know, for the first time ever um, in any university branch in Australia... Uh, three of the four uh, branch offices have been targeted right before for bargaining. Um, you know, and certainly privately, it's been confirmed to me uh, by sources in management that we have been targeted. So um, all this adds up to some very worrying yeah. things for VU. Um, as you say, it's it's been recognised as the sort of working class community uh, university of the West. Uh, mm. The problem is we have um, people running it who yeah. are pretty much like running a place like uh, BHP or a multinational. Uh, and this, of course, Paul, goes back, I think I've, we've said on this program a number of times talking about these issues, that going back to the Howard era when he really turned universities from uh, from areas of, of study um, and education into businesses, that the vice-chancellors around Australia went along with it pretty much 100%. And going back to that, we now have what we've got, I would think. If they'd fought then, we may have saved the system. I think you're right, um, and... Uh, universities are not, not what they were. They, they run like corporations. Um, and indeed, when Murdoch's uh, enterprise bargaining agreement was cancelled, uh, Simon Birmingham, who's the Minister for Education, got on the airwaves and said, you know, um, this opens up an opportunity for, for universities. They, they should be uh, following Murdoch's lead. Hmm. Indeed, um, Jennifer Westacott from the Business Council of Australia made a speech a couple of days ago in which she talked about the need for radical change in uni funding, but she wants all funding to be geared toward the, the needs of business, and that's where it's up and going, isn't it? 
Well, pr- yes, indeed. And uh, I think what we're seeing is a business model for running universities rather than um, one that necessarily serves the community. Um, and I think, you know, there are certain universities that have a regional emphasis like VU that, that need to be uh, given special funding and support. Um, but with the new market system, we've got basically what happens is uh, the bigger universities start warehousing students and the, the, the big fish eats the small fish, unfortunately. Yeah, and the, the thing that um, I, I can never get right in my mind, Paul, is that we're not talking about free education here because students are paying um, hefty amounts of money for, for their courses. And recently I was at a graduation um, ceremony for a family member um, and um, it was a very long <laughs> ceremony um, just because of the, um, I mean, of course, different different courses. But there must have at least been 2,000 students I, I think who who have all who have all got amazing debt so just sitting there while I was watching this thinking you know on on average of knowing what um, students are, are paying how could it possibly be you know not, at, at least not paying a, a majority percentage of the way to um, you know covering costs yeah well, it's really passing on debt to future generations, yes. uh, which which I think is really problematic. And, you know, I mean, some interesting figures that just our unions come out with is that, um, you know, we have some of the highest student fees in the world now yes. and some of the lowest contributions of any OECD um, countries to, uh, you know, university education. Um, so you can really see kind of what's happening is that the government are really treating universities now pretty much as a, as a business for profit, but not supporting them. No, um, no. doesn't excuse the actions, of course, of vice-chancellors, but it does tell you a lot about the way the system's going. Yeah, there was a case um, in the Commission last week in which uh, it was to do with Immigration Department staff, but the argument put forward by the Department on behalf of the government was that the government has set guidelines for wage increases which are incredibly low and therefore the court should recognise what the government's decreed and and not give the workers what they want, which is something a little over nothing. Um, And this is probably the same in this sort of situation where they determine some sort of figure and then say you have to comply because they're short of money and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, or we'll cancel, and if you don't, we'll cancel your agreement. Um, And, you know, I think this is goes to the heart of the, you know, ACTU's current Mm -hmm. campaign about the rules are broken. They are broken. The Fair Work Mm -hmm. Act... um, really doesn't work for workers anymore. No. And I would say the whole industrial system and union system is yeah. in crisis uh, mm. because really the pact that was entered into by our leaders many years ago isn't working. Yeah. No, then, yeah, to- totally agree with that. And just, um, and re- people um, know of recently the industrial um, trauma that um, we've gone through it through at Hag, and um, for an organisation and workers that actually hadn't um, experienced that for for you know just over a decade, we're really shocked um, at the <laughs> at the little we could actually do industrially um, to to fight for um, against what was happening to us. So I, I agree. And then the Fair Work Commission, um, the experience through that too is just appalling. Well, certainly, I think. Um you know, what's called the adverse action rule, yep. which is when a worker gets targeted for, um, you know, being a union official or, yes. um, you know, d- d- because they're exercising their workplace rights, uh, enormously hard to prove. And 
Uh, yes. There's very few cases that get up in the Fair Work uh, Commission because you actually have to get from the employer in writing yeah. that they're taking adverse action from you. So, right. you know, <laughs> I am. I plead guilty. <laughs> so, so, Paul, on the on the ground, what what um, just with the through the voluntary redundancy process, how how many staff have have been lost through that process, and what will um, happen now? We've, we've had. Yeah, probably around, I think I think I heard you say, 150 in the most recent um, reduction. So it's 100 academic staff and we've got about 50 professional staff. Um, probably uh, over the last three to four years, though, we've probably lost, um, uh, I don't know, five, 600 net. Uh, but we've probably Goodness. seen possibly over 1,000 positions leave the university with spills and fills and various other things. Um, so, I mean, there has been uh, a lot of change um, uh, and the, a lot of the university's budget has been spent on <clears throat> paying out, um, you know, retrenchment packages and then often rehiring people. Yeah. Uh, and we think this is, you know, not, not very good mm. economics, but um, again, it's the way universities are managed at the moment. It must be pretty difficult to operate once you get those numbers out of the system, though. Yeah, um, it, there's, there's no doubt that... Um, the university is sort of uh, riding on rock bottom at the moment in terms of the number of staff that it's got. Yeah, on um, that, what's, what's the impact on, on what the students are getting then in terms of that shortage of staff? Um, yeah, no, it's not good. Um, <clears throat> just, I suppose, to talk, talk about my own personal circumstances. So um, I was uh, the only ongoing staff member in uh, two courses uh, in communications, a, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. That course still has to be taught out next year but um, there'll be no ongoing staff at all in that course and it'll be t entirely run by casuals and uh, uh, coordinated by people who probably don't really fully understand the course. Um, there is uh, that sort of situation is being replicated elsewhere in the university um, uh, and it's kind of quite high, highly problematic, I suppose, in terms of what students are getting. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, my members, are having their workloads uh, increased uh, enormously. Um, that not only has an effect for staff, but also students, because what you tend to get is a lower quality product in the classroom because there's less time uh, to develop teaching materials and so on. So it is having a real impact, and I think, um, you know, certainly... Uh, from my perspective, universities are starting to look much more like um, low-quality uh, factories, you know, in an mm. uh, economic zone or something. And, and does that mean that there have been courses that have been removed entirely? That um, Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. I mean, uh, you know, certainly at the start of the year, there we, we had courses in creative writing, yeah. communications, uh, other areas. They didn't have a first-year intake. Well, they did have a first-year intake. Those students came in to do them but they were then told that they couldn't do those courses. It was too late for them to apply anywhere else in VTAC, so they said they were told to go into other courses. And as you can imagine, that distressed uh, quite a few students and parents mm -hmm. about that, but uh, they were advised at such short notice and then given no alternative. So um, some very poor management, I think, um, and I would say a lack of duty to care, duty of care really to students and staff. But if a student starts a course um, and they're paying for it and they're going to pay for it long term as well uh, and suddenly 
you know, su- subject drops or part yep. of the course drops out, surely the student has some some comeback there, don't they? Or do well, they? you would think that's the case, and uh, and I would say that should be the case. However, um, generally, what you find is in the fine print of the handbooks of uh, um, yes. <laughs> you know the triplicate of. Uh, most university handbooks, there's a little rider in there that usually says, uh, we may vary courses. Um, uh, And that's obviously put in there deliberately. Uh, Whether it's a a kosher way of uh, treating people is another question. And, uh, you know, I think our university and a number of others have got a lot to answer for. Yeah. Well, particularly in in that region, Paul, um, you know, where where it is probably the only access um, to university education that that um, people may, you know, have so in in that sense, um, and 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 again, the the need for quite diverse courses as well that meet the needs of of that community. Um, so um, yeah, I, I'm just really appalled at all of this. As I said recently, um, because of a family member. Um, you know, undertaking studies there for the last um, five years and going to various, um, you know, she had won um, a couple of scholarships and awards um, through through the university and you always hear the vice-chancellor and I've always been really impressed about, you know, what they said about the the ethos of the, of the unity and um, the vision and, and, yeah, you can listen to that and think, yeah, this is all really magnificent <laughs> and you've got to get behind it and think of ways of being able to, to support the institution. So just, you know, to suddenly hear this and particularly now that there are forced retrench- retrenchments that are targeted um, at unionists um, is really distressing. So, Paul, um, what can all of us do in terms of trying to turn any of this around? Um, well, uh, we have a, a large rally which we're trying to organise uh, for November the 2nd, which is a Thursday, um, and it'll be outside the Victoria University Council meeting at uh, 12, 12 noon on the 2nd of November at 300 Flinders, which is the, the campus. We, we, we're already getting quite, quite a bit of support from that um, both community and cross-union support. Yep. So if, if people could come along to that, that would be uh, great. Um, the other thing is if people want to keep in contact with um, uh, what's going on, uh, there is a group called Friends of VU, yep. um, and we have a Facebook page, um, which is uh, facebook.com uh, forward slash, uh, and then just... Uh, friends of VU, capital F, capital O, uh, uh, lowercase f, uh, uppercase the uh, VU. I hope people can understand that. <laughs> <Can we> just, <laughs> yeah. but, but if Two you search for friends of VU on Facebook, yep. you will find it. So, um, uh, and if you uh, you can follow that, and that will keep you up to date with um, things that we're organising. We have got a, uh, a barbecue also. Um, if people want to support that, at the friends of VU barbecue. Uh, coming up uh, on Wednesday the 25th at 4pm uh, and that'll be at uh, 20 Geelong Road, Footscray. All right, true, terrific. Right, yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul um, just on, in terms of those courses that were cut, how many MBA and business courses have been cut, by the way? Um, would, I, would none be the answer? There, there are, we do have um, a retrenchment program uh, in business, College of Business happening at the moment. Um, we do have uh, some staff there that will be affected. It's not clear at this point um, what courses. 
Uh, but, you know, the College of Business is probably one of the colleges that is, is suffering at the moment. We have other colleges that are doing a bit better, um, uh, such as sports science, um, which they've kind of got a bit of a reputation around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but um, yeah, the MBA um, would not have um, huge numbers. Now, that's interesting because you, you, tend, you see, tend to see, see uh, massive emphasis these days from the major unis on that whole business MBA and the whole business courses, and the, the emphasis seems to be moving in that direction. I think BU is probably a different university. But probably the numbers in business are probably more related to overseas teaching yeah. Yeah. and a lot of teaching in China. Um, so, um, yes, the, the College of Business does earn us a lot of money, but it's probably not in the MBA. It's in other areas. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And just a final thing, Paul, any word for um, polys, from Polly's in the West about um, their support yeah, um, look, we, for this not happening? We, we have had some great support so far from Colleen Hartland, and yep. no surprises there. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, but we are seeking to try and get uh, more support from from politicians and we are starting to make um, contact with them. Um, We're also discussing perhaps a question being raised in Parliament about what's happening. Yeah, most most definitely, because it's really um, scandalous. Um, All right, well, thanks for coming on the program and updating us, Paul, and um, if we can urge everyone to get to the rally on November 2nd, um, but also to be contacting members of Parliament um, out in that area and... Um, I think on the website it's also got other university um, partners as well. Uh, is yeah, that look, right, I, I, like... people should probably have a talk to Peter Gordon yeah, from I was Western say Bulldogs that, yeah. as well because um, they've just signed a five-year partnership and Peter Gordon, of course, has a strong reputation in, in labour issues. Um, and wasn't uh, he just awarded something from the uni as well? Oh, um, there's a five-year sponsorship deal done so with, with the university. So. Mm. Yep. Um, so all you Footscray supporters. That's right. And, bar- <laughs> and barbecue next Wednesday, <laughs> yes. four o'clock at the Footscray campus. Yes. All right. Yeah. Fantastic, Paul. Thanks for um, joining us and take care and, and good luck in any of the negotiations that you're undertaking. Yeah, thanks, April. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, thanks, Paul. Bye. See you soon. Yeah. Bye. Paul Adams there from, uh, well, he's ex-staff there now, is he not? Yeah, I think he finishes up the beginning of Shorter, December. And I, um, we yeah, didn't ask him, yeah. but I think Paul's been at the uni for about 20-something years. Well, you did say yeah. they, they, they're targeting union officials, of course. And yeah. It's the old story, isn't it? Yeah. Shane McGrath's wanted in the studio. Let's take a break, come back and have a yarn about housing. People. Yeah. Okay. And uh, back on uh, air with housing today and uh, April Bragg and... Uh, Got Shane McGrath wanted into the studio. Shane, well, um, Shane, your your role at what's your title again? Ah, uh, these days it's the retirement housing worker or one of the retirement housing workers. Right, right. And April knows what to ask. I'll let her ask it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Shane's um, just joined the retirement housing team. Um, as you said, we've got three workers, but in the previous life at HAG, um, Shane was our tenancy advice worker, and um, I, as listeners would know, that we lost our specialist tenancy advice funding um, last year, which um, was really quite devastating for, for us. But continuing on to um, push for um, reform to tenancy legislation, and I guess maybe not a surprise, but a, a surprise, um, Shane, in the announcement last week um, from the government in, um, uh, I I guess, what they um, trumpeted as um, uh, tenant-friendly. Big big wins for renters. Yeah, um, Victoria was going to be the 
um, place to live if you're a tenant. Oh, um, at least Northcote where the by-elections are. <laughs> now, Shane, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so some of the changes that they talked about was back blacklisting landlords. Um, these are the ones I've just gleamed um, mm-hmm. really quickly, back blacklisting um, landlords, uh, pet-friendly tenancies, um, uh, no bidding for... Um, Renting, rent prices, and, rent increases. And longer leases. And um, longer leases, so yeah. was, was that in the bag of tricks? Uh, yeah, so yeah, that, okay. those are all things they've announced. I, I guess one thing to say about all of these changes is that there's no details about them yet. So, you know, we've had people already ringing up the service like, oh, I've heard they've changed the law, so they're like, blah, blah. No, no, so they're, they're saying that in a year's time they're going to legislate some of these things. What the specifics of those changes are going to be are, are yet to emerge. You know, at, at this stage it's more like some memes and some media releases about how great these things are going to be for tenants but some of them I think it's pretty questionable you know it, it could turn out to be really great for tenants or it could turn out to be a, a pretty lukewarm sort of change um, in terms of rental bidding which you just mentioned it does seem unfortunately what they've decided is to ban real estate agents from asking for rental bids but they're not going to take the further step that they had considered of banning accepting a rental bid yeah. uh, and most rental bidding is driven by tenants who are desperate for yeah. housing so it, it seems pretty likely that that practice is going to continue. Um, a, a lot of the changes don't seem that substantial. The change to, to have pet-friendly leases, it seems that what they're saying is that you'll still need, well, you'll need, which you don't at the moment by law, you'll need your landlord's consent to have a pet in a rental property, uh, but the landlord will be, will have to, sorry, the landlord won't be able to unreasonably refuse, and if they unreasonably refuse, you'll be able to take them to VCAT. Um, that's... I mean, it's not really a surprise they're doing that. The Real Estate Institute of Victoria accepted that that's a good position like some time ago. The standard form lease that most Victorians would have from the REIV already has that in it. Um, It's pretty disappointing. I mean, well, no, it's not disappointing in itself, but I think a bigger problem for tenants with pets is finding a property. Like once you're in the property, you're pretty okay, really. Um, But, you know, if you tick the the box that says I've got a dog on your application form, I think most of us feel that our application goes straight to the bottom. Mm. One reform that they've considered through the the long process leading into this reform package is making a standard form uh, rental application. So at the moment, real estate agents solicit outrageous amounts of personal information about you when you apply for a rental property. I just had to put in a rental application and, and of course, I had to give them three months of bank statements, which includes many things that I wouldn't Mm. want my landlord to know about my, my spending habits. And they aren't relevant. Like, I'm not trying to conceal something, but he doesn't need to know which bars I've been to, which union I'm a member of. You know, lots of things uh, that could be the basis for but discriminatory I've judgments. But I've wondered about yeah. theft in that, that case as, as well because, um, I mean, it's a bit different now that everyone does banking electronically, but what, what you're actually providing is, you know, bank account num- num- bank statements, and I've had real estate agents where you've actually blacked them out your account number mm-hmm. for security purposes and they actually want to know it. But you're also signing things, so you've got signatures there as, there as well. But, no, but, but in Shane's case, of course, that daily bar bill. Yes. Over, <laughs> over, over eight or ten hours every day. I mean, it gets, says something, doesn't it? <laughs> But, you know, I mean, for example, it it would be illegal, obviously, for a real estate agent to ask you on the application form if you're gay, but certainly they can see if you're spending money in certain kinds of bars, certain kinds of bookshops, certain kinds of clubs, whatever. They could could form that discriminatory judgment. Uh, And the same with pets. They can use that to form a discriminatory judgment, which is why overwhelmingly tenants just lie when they apply, Mm. uh, which is certainly probably a good idea for most of them. This is not legal advice. (laughs) The... um, the, yeah. the 
the biggest change, which is sort of the most promising, but also you know has a lot of scope to be watered down from what what it appears at first, is that they've announced they're getting rid of no reason notices to vacate. Um, that'll make them the first, I think, mainland state in Australia to do that. I think Tasmania already has no such thing as a no reason notice to vacate. Um, that was a huge priority for all the tenants groups uh, leading into the review process. Um, overwhelmingly. I mean, not only is there just a principle, like you, you shouldn't be made homeless for no reason. Like yeah. it's just fundamental. You should be entitled to stay in your home unless there's a reason for you to go. Um, but, you know, consistently anyone working in tenant advice talks to a tenant about some sort of problem. They've put my rent up illegally. They've, they won't do this repair. They, this, that. Um, you tell them what they can do and they say, oh, but if I do that, they're just going to kick me out. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and it tends, tends to be true. <laughs> Getting rid of the no reason... Notice to vacate doesn't totally solve that problem, but it, it takes a big step towards it, right? If your landlord can't just kick you out for no reason, you're closer to being able to assert your rights. There's other reforms that need to happen around that, but it's better. Um, from the wording and, and the lack of detail, it seems to me that what they're actually proposing, rather than say you must use one of the prescribed reasons, you know, you're selling your house, you're demolishing your house, you, you know, there's a, a range of reasons a landlord is currently specifically allowed to terminate your tenancy. Um, there'll be a generic other reason notice to vacate. Um, this is speculation on my part, but I think it's pretty well informed. Uh, and the landlord will have to fill in a reason why they're terminating your tenancy. Uh, and VCAT may or may not have oversight to decide if that's a good enough reason. Right. So uh, VCAT has to make a decision between a landlord and a tenant. Yeah, I mean, the yes, problem with... that's interesting. The, the problem with this, I don't know, this might be a little more detailed than we really need, but at the moment, it's illegal for a landlord to give you a no reason notice uh, in retaliation for you exercising your rights. We've taken plenty of tenants to the tribunal to say, you know, I, I challenged the rent increase in this day. Next day, they sent me the notice to vacate. Consistently, the, the results that I've seen from VCAT, this is anecdotal, but this is my experience. If the landlord represents themselves, then the tenant wins. The landlord turns up to the tribunal and says, yeah, they're asking for repairs all the time. I'm kicking them out. It's annoying. And the tribunal says, no, you can't do that. But if they've got a real estate, the, the estate agent is just cluey enough to say, oh, they, they just need to do some repairs. They didn't want to give them the shorter notice for repairs. So they've generously given them 120 days. And the tribunal will accept that. So if they have an excuse, they'll get away with it. And now the new notice essentially just asks you to write your excuse on the top to, to save us all the time of, of actually considering that. Um, so, so are you saying that that might even be, um, have VCAT jurisdiction? The, no, no, the, the, VCAT uh, will uh, have... Yeah. I mean, VCAT will have to always yeah, decide yeah. if a notice to VCAT is valid. But one thing they've considered is giving VCAT the power to assess whether, a, a, whether terminating the tenancy is justified in all the circumstances. So it might be... Mm. At the moment, if they've served a valid notice to vacate for almost anything, rentaries can be a little different. The tribunal just has to make a, a possession order. They have to kick you out. There, there was consideration to giving them more discretion around that. So, you know, what's an example? If you're getting kicked out for breaching your duty, but, you know, you just had that one party and it wasn't that bad and your neighbours weren't that annoyed, maybe VCAT would say, well, look, under the circumstances, an eviction's not necessary. Um, but again, they, these are just things that have been considered. They're not anything that the government's announced. Yeah. So just, just an- uh, Environment Victoria has recently come out and said, as we have roadworthy tests for used cars, there should be houseworthy tests, homes, homeworthy tests for rental properties. Yeah, and they go to the they go they're doing it from environment property. They go to the issue of uh, 
of heating, of uh, water, of all those areas yeah. where often rental properties are, you know, cost cost tenants heaps more mm. because of the nature of what's there, and they're saying you could save heaps. And and people have a right to decent hot water, decent you know everything, all those all those things. Yeah. Um, anything in there about that? Well, there's no announcements yet. So again, the, the government plans to release more announcements about what's actually going to change over the next twelve months. Um, minimum standards. I think it's almost certain that there'll be some sort of minimum standards introduced for rental properties. Um, it's definitely something that's been discussed a lot. Um, it was in the Labor Party platform, I think, before the last election. They seem pretty into it. But again, the, the detail of that, like how, how far do these standards go? Um, will they include things like energy efficiency, which, as you say, is really important? Um, will they protect tenants who have you know, mould, for example? Mould is a huge problem for a lot of renters and can be really hard to, to deal with in the, under the RTA at the moment. Um, you know, just just how far the rental standards will go. I think the REIV, if you mentioned minimum standards, complains that yes. tenants want gold taps. Yeah, and two, um, two bathrooms and... So, so how they, where they set that standard will be really interesting to see. And it'll be interesting in terms of the timing as well um, with the state election mm. ne- next year, of how, how robust they, they are. One, th- one thing, and you know this, Shane, that one of my big bitches <laughs> <laughs> about, uh, about tenancy is how many um, people get caught up in that they um, take up a, a lease, but during the, um, the duration of the lease are... are being told that the property is going to be sold or it's put on the market, so forcing them to, before they've even really unpacked, to have to, to move again. And, of course, my thing is always it costs so much money to, mm-hmm. to relocate and to move. It just isn't, um, you know, people say, oh, real estate agents say you get the bond back, but it is the, the four weeks rent in advance. Sometimes you can time that. But but it is the removal cost and, mm-hmm. and the like and just the, the time that it takes to, to find another place. So they, I read somewhere that they were actually thinking of, making that um, illegal for all owners have to tell you beforehand if you're planning to go in. But I can't see how that would work in practice. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's going to be an obligation to disclose to to incoming tenants if you plan to sell the property. Um, But... I mean, a, a landlord presumably can avoid that just by saying, "Oh, I didn't decide yeah, I didn't until a couple weeks yeah. later." Just change, but also, yes. I mean, yes. tenants are still in the situation where the the rental market is so tight that they have little choice about little op, little option to reject a property. Mm. Are they going to sell it? Well, I'm just going to have to to take a chance on it. Where else am I going to go? And that's, I mean, that's the yeah. same with like the idea of a, a landlord or real estate agent blacklist. Like, it's not a bad idea in itself, but the, with the rental market again, so tight, with so yeah. so little supply, so so few <laughs> options, like what are you going to do? Yes, oh, I've got a yes. bad landlord. Well, yeah. that, that's a little bit like my last seventeen bad landlords. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. roll well, the dice. Just just on in my local rag and looking at the city of Moreland, um, in the between the last two census up to the one last year, uh, rentals in Brunswick went from forty two point nine percent of people to fifty point two. So more than half the people in Brunswick now yeah, rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Coburg, it went from twenty six to thirty four percent. But um, you know, it's it's a major area, uh, and and we know people are being ripped off. But also the you know even if even if you get in there the. The, the rentals are so bloody high now mm. that people on average incomes must, you know, we know they're really struggling, but they they probably probably emphasises the greater need for genuine public housing, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think heaps of the context for why these reforms are happening or why they're being looked at is that there's this kind of history that's pretty conventional and pretty well understood and probably has some gaps in it, but that, you know, historically in Australia, 
Uh, people only rented privately for short periods of time before they moved into either public housing if they were on low incomes or they bought their own homes. So there was no need for security of tenure. There was no real need for these kinds of protections. And as both of those things are increasingly inaccessible, it's increasingly less possible to buy a house, uh, You know, increasingly more difficult to get into public housing. There's less and less of it. Uh, the government's doing everything it can to, to get out of that business. The, the private rental market is being made to take up some of the slack and some of the, the kind of protections that previously were expected in public housing are going to be sort of shifted off to private landlords. Um, government's not really willing to actually push the important protections like security of tenure, but maybe they'll tell you private landlords, yeah, let them, let them have a dog, let them put up some posters, you know. But that, that's kind of the framework that we're looking at. And, I mean, that's because th- there is no organising for tenants' rights. You know, there's no movement for tenants' rights. Why would the government make, make progressive reform in the absence of, of, of a movement pushing for those? Mm-hmm. And one can only assume that on the other side, of course, they're getting enormous pressure from the industry itself. Mm. Well, particularly, as you're saying, Shane, when the industry is expected to take up the responsibility of housing mm. <laughs> I mean, it's also nation yeah. citizens. It's right. so, yes. it's like, you know, don't, uh, don't give us a... Altruistically good old souls that they are. <laughs> And, and just on the um, statistics in terms of uh, data, the, um, the ABS recently released some statistics about older people renting um, within Melbourne and it, um, it came out that a staggering 84% were in housing stress. So that measured by that people were paying at least 30% of their income and that 54% um, were in severe housing stress, so paying over 50% of their income in rent, which, of course, we've yeah. spoken about, about end- endlessly. That's right. And that's alongside now energy bills that low-income yes, people yes. have. So between rent and energy bills, people yes. must be absolutely stressed out of their mind. Well, it, and, in fact, there's, yeah, just a bit, there's, there are reports about the massive levels of people who can't afford their energy bills and are threatened with cut-off, and they're all in working-class, so I won't go into them, yeah. but they're all work- the cities, the working-class areas, that's where mm. they are. Mm. Yeah, and certainly the people that, that we see, um, and we're seeing more people um, with rental arrears, and they're the ones in the private rental market, and, and that's steadily increased over um, particularly the last five years that we've been operating the Home at Last service, because it was quite rare for people, older people, to, to have rental arrears because they tend to pay the rent and then go without everything else. And we've talked mm. about that before, about the number of referrals we get from hospitals where people have had to go without medication and then end up in some health crisis. But um, the other thing that's happened in our service as well, that when we first um, got funding for the Home at Last service in 2012, the majority of people were in private rental and that's what we pushed the government that these people were vulnerable you need to be looking at them where as today we're probably looking at 85% of people that come through have already fallen into homelessness but had been long-term renters so um, and a couple of years back we would have said these are people first-time homelessness but we're seeing more people over that just over that couple of years that have been homeless for that time or lost properties and people will say to to us it is about the rent utility combination Mm -hmm. um and something had to had to give um and they just couldn't do it yeah and i mean there's nothing really about rent controls in the in the announcement of reforms and it's clear that the government will absolutely (laughs) not even entertain a discussion about the possibility of the idea of any kind of rent Mm -hmm. control Um, they have said that they're going to cut rent increases from no more than twice a year to no more than once a year but 
I mean, everyone can see that that's quite trivial and your landlord's just going to put it up by the same amount. In his speech to the British Labor conference the other week, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, in fact, said he would bring in rent controls in Britain if uh, he... Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. That'd be election winner. Yeah, yeah. I mean... (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Landlord's all about print. I mean, it is interesting to compare us with Europe. You know, in lots of ways it's different, but, you know, in in parts of France there are rent caps based on the size and quality of the property... Uh, in, I think, Germany, the tenants' union is powerful enough to collectively bargain to set rents, which is an extraordinary yeah. idea to me. Uh, there's no longer a tenants' union in Victoria, I think, after they've changed their name to, to just Tenants Victoria. Um, but, yeah, I, I think yeah. those sort of, you know, we need to have discussions about yeah. what sort of organising strategies might yes. be effective if we, if we want to be talking about real tenants' rights and not just r- reforms, you know, that, that might look nice on paper and have mm. nice pet mm. pictures in the, yeah, in the right. articles. And it needs to be incorporated, incorporated into um, a national housing strategy. Yeah. Um, you know, and Let's just nationalise them all. Yes. Let's just take the landlord's uh, houses. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... that's a paid announcement. Well, now that, now that, we, now that, <laughs> now that we're there... Now that, now that we've solved the problem, we're going to finish the show at 9.45. <laughs> uh, but on that um, last... I, did, I couldn't get there last Sunday, as it turned out. I'd had a yeah. pre-arranged event. But um, did anyone go to that rally last Sunday? And how big was it? It coincided um, for us with um, Seniors Week. Uh, we, we had those co- commitments and I hadn't caught, caught up. But, um, yeah, because it got no publicity at all, uh, which is amazing. Because you know there was so yeah the usual yeah. the usual trivia was all over the papers Monday and yeah. all over the news, but nothing about a rally supporting public yeah. housing. This is one for people who I don't know. There was a rally last Sunday yeah. to oppose the current privatisation of housing estates. Of pu- public housing, okay. and yeah. and uh, along with that though, apart from not covering the rally, there have been um, hearings in each of the areas that have been earmarked for, for redevelopment, and um, HAG is part of um, Hands Off Pub- the ha- Hands Off Public Housing Coalition, mm. and we heard back from members of that that there were some really um, good submissions. Um, people could submit, and then you were able to present, um, and with basically everyone saying this is this is not um, the, the thing to do. These are their impl- implications. That included tenants. Um, who are going to be um, displaced from from those areas for periods of time, and depending on what the um, the stock blueprint looks like, whether they're able to to return um, to to their areas. But basically, the the every, what everyone was saying, the common thing was, um, you know, no transfer of public assets into private hands mm. um, and once you give the land away mm. you've you've lost it so you know and of course land's the, the most expensive thing it really costs nothing to to build housing the infrastructure's there so it's really important to in fact to in his it. speech in britain jeremy corbyn made the very points we make about the fact that it's really handy just handing it over to the private sector for profit yes and these things these so-called public private arrangements just don't work on the ground no um, and we've been operating the social housing system in Victoria now, um, particularly since the registration of the housing associations and and there has been no review particularly um, on the impact of of tenants and what their tenancies look like um, and and compare that to the benchmarks that we do have in public housing and why public housing works. And as Shane was saying before, where we used to treat it as a transition into to home ownership, that's no longer the case. We're looking at public housing now being people's permanent housing. Um, so that you know, those, those things really need to mm. be examined. On possibly. a related matter, um, 
Robert Doyle, who's recently changed, he's changed his policy on homelessness from what it was to what it was. I think he doesn't. I can't quite notice the changes. But anyway, no, he said that they won't, they won't ban people from sleeping on the street. But if police see them, they'll throw them off the streets. I think that's they think that's the, well, new, also, the new plan. But I'm whatever. Genuous because it was about yeah. the litigation. Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, he's, he's so Robert's on the ball again. But um, he, um, they're going to have these Christmas things, which will ha- you, you'll be able to turn our famous sites into enchanted wonderlands and popular animal characters, including Santa and the Nutcracker Soldier, coming to life right before your eyes. But he says the Christmas trading season is the most important time of year for city businesses. That is why we are investing a record $5.4 million to make this year's Christmas festival our most successful ever. Now, that, that $5.4 million to help business would go a long way to helping the homeless, wouldn't it? What kind of socialist idea is that? <laughs> Sorry, just, just a, the thought just struck me. That's well, a, I, the businesses. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, um, it's not doing anything about homelessness and, um, you know, the situations that people have, you know, found themselves on our streets. Um, I, I don't know how anybody thinks that, you know, you're going to be bringing families into celebrate Christmas in, you know, in mm. town, um, and stepping over someone like yeah, the gutter. Yeah, so and you know, um, just really quite disgraceful. And and I mean, what what can you say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you could say something. Well, I mean, generally, I mean, a lot of families actually only come into to town once a year for for those festivities. Bring the kids mm. into the Maya windows. Mm. So you've got to ha- hope that um, people are, are so. Um, you know, so so disgraced by that that there would be an outpouring on visitors I mean, from the cities. It's the same old thing, isn't it? Like, you, if you gave that money to the homeless, you'd be encouraging welfare dependency. Yeah. They're just a bunch of bludgers. That's if you right. give it to yeah. business, that's, that's right. a sensible that's economic right. decision. Yeah. That's corporate yeah. welfare, which yeah. is good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Brendan Nottle, of course, made it to Canberra and he's walked oh, for the he? homeless. I yes, had, he's landed. I up, but, yeah. well, I was on the news the other night and they showed uh, um, uh, Shorten said what a wonderful job he'd done and how Shorten would support this, what his cause. But also Alan uh, Tudge, the minister for um, whatever, here he is, but he's minister for uh, something or other, doesn't say, Gov- just says government minister Alan Tudge, I think he's security, social security or something, he, he called him a saint. And um, Tudge said the government, but this is, of course, Ben, for those who don't know, Ben Noddle's the Starvation Army bloke, and Tudge said the government was committed to not only providing more affordable housing but also dealing with the root causes of homelessness. So I think it's all, all solved. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and and again, I mean, we've, Shane, you didn't know, but we've been fo- following Brendan's track yeah, right. through over over the last few, yes, few programs. Well, we've all been following <laughs> Brendan across the country. And we? and again, yeah. you know, congratulations on 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 doing it. But you know, politicians need mm. to to step up and perhaps and Brendan could, could rather than I, walk there, look at the actual causes and and try yeah. and address the causes and, and, rather and, than the symptoms. But it, but again, one of the, or the symptom rather than the whatever. But again, one of the crazy things and and what the social housing system is propped up on and and the last of the housing stock that we're talking about, public housing stock that we're talking about being trained transferred across. Of course, the um, government says that's because the, the private providers or the not-for-profits not for can attract 
Commonwealth rent assistance. So every public housing property that's transferred over means that those tenants, because they're still needing to meet the eligibility criteria, are going to be claiming rent assistance. The Commonwealth Rent Assistance Bill must be... I, I mean, it's just a bit... I mean, it's extraordinary anyway. I can't remember how much it is if you... Um, but but again, about to blow out even mm. further because every state is transferring stock. Um, so instead of having a, a housing strategy that puts that capital money into building, and again, because it costs government basically nothing to, to, to build, is so, so short-sighted. Like, it just never makes economic sense. So... No, they never do. Well, the point you raised earlier about people having to go to hospital because they yeah. can't eat, etc. Yeah. I mean, so you might be saving in one area, or the companies are making massive, you know, the energy yeah. companies, etc., and yeah. landlords. But the cost of the public bill from people who who get ill because yeah. of it all, or end up yeah. in hospital, or you know, all the other like just yeah. these ongoing costs that always end up with government. I yeah, never, of course. You know, I never think I'm through. And why I raise it is because Tudge is the minister responsible, and you'll find in ten years' time they'll say, "Oh, we just can't do this anymore; it costs too much." So we're going to take the subsidy away from those providers, and tenants again will have to pick up the shortfall because mm. there'll always be market rent. He's the so. one who wants the public sector to provide welfare, doesn't he? Yes. That's the one. That's it, yeah, that's right. We've got Circo running the selling call centres, right? Well, that's right. Circo, I had that down to raise today. We didn't get round to it. But, yeah, Circo uh, has taken over the call centres and uh, or is taking over the yeah. call centres. So those thugs who run the concentration yes. camps that's at Nauru and Manus will uh, bring their empathy to uh, to settling people. Yep. Oh, well, that's been a really miserable program. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Housing day is always miserable. You know, I, I, keep up the fight, people. We, city Limits tries to depress people every week, but I think housing's the one that, you know, it's <laughs> the big one of the month. Yeah. <laughs> and next week is a fourth Wednesday, and we're going to have, um, we're having Dave Kerrin come back to talk again about, just update us on the Victoria Market campaign, and again, because I think about now people are going to start having to sit in front of bulldozers. And also, though, he's going to give us more about the, some of the exciting work that, um, that Earthwork is doing in relation to making um, the renewable stuff and, and, and worker-owned factories. And we're going to get Paddy Moriarty involved in that as well because he's involved in, you know, he likes these alternate energy yeah. stuff. So um, we'll oh, have, Terrific. That was a good yeah. program last time with Dave and So Paddy. we'll do that again next week. So that's the fourth Wednesday of the month. And, um, OK, that's it. April, thanks for April. You've been wonderful. You came in to co-present and get us off the hook. Andy's done a great job yeah, pressing thank buttons. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Shane, <laughs> you, you may as well thank Shane, your colleague, and thank Andy. <laughs> thanks, heaps for coming, comrade. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks, everyone.